Michael Spain, the Public Information Officer for the Madison Police Department. I want to thank everyone for joining us. And the next three weeks, starting today, uh, we are going to be rolling out a number of uh, Chief Koval's initiatives for 2015. Uh, and uh, we're looking forward to some, some good things, I think, taking place in our community based on these initiatives that the Chief is uh, going to roll out. And uh, Chief Koval will tell you who's gathered here today and why they're here. Thank you. Good morning and thank you for coming. Um, I think, though, that in light of recent events, I just do want us to take a moment and pause to recognize the passing of Lieutenant Kerry Clark, a young man who served for the Oregon Police Department. And so we're going to open up this press conference with a moment of silence and deference to him, his family, and his service to our community. And I thank you. Today, uh, one of the things I'm proudest of in terms of initiatives since I became chief is to fortify what I think is the marquee elements of what makes Madison's policing style unique unto itself. When we talk about trust-based policing, there's a couple of stipulations that go into that predicate. One is the police can no longer do this alone. You can't just task us, point us in that direction, and expect that we can solve a lot of complicated issues all by ourselves unilaterally. So what that requires is that we need to incorporate partnerships at a very grassroots level. And we can't make those partnerships happen unless, in fact, the community who forms those partnership alliances understand that they can trust us. And nowhere is that trust made more self-evident in the relational abilities of MPD to get out, high-touch policing, help our people where they're at, not just with crime prevention, crime detention, and all those other things about crime models, but also in terms of helping them in quality of life issues, in our neighborhoods in particular. Now, while all of our officers are commissioned with that very mandate, that of getting out and being proactive, preemptive, and collaborative, it is sort of the essence of who we are if we go back to our neighborhood divisions. And when I came on, we had 11 neighborhood officers, and this was a marquee centerpiece of our, our budget initiative for going into 2015. And I'm delighted to have had the support of the mayor and the common council in recognizing that this was an issue in dire need of bolstering. When I first became chief, I was so entrenched with the thought of bolstering our ranks in our challenged neighborhoods that I set out an inquiry to all of my five district captains. And I said that it's an emphasis of mine that we get back to our roots as neighborhood police officer practitioners. But I need to know, beyond the pale of what I think is good information, can you provide me a short list of those neighborhoods that you think could benefit if, in fact, I go forward with this initiative? And I would suggest that each and every one of those five captains provided me a list of no, no less than six different neighborhoods which they felt were volatile, could go in one way or another. But if they had a little additional helping hand from the police, we might be able to return that neighborhood to a measure of status quo and self-maintenance. And so what we created was a concept known as the Neighborhood Resource Officer. 
A neighborhood resource officer is slightly different than a neighborhood police officer in and of themselves because a neighborhood police officer are those officers that are literally assigned for a year in one neighborhood that has with it its own unique special challenges, so much so that we have to have a presence there all the time. Uh, we have some neighborhood officers here with me today. I'd like them to stand. Uh, we couldn't bring everybody today because of day off rotations and things like that. But uh, would you three please stand up, announce your name, and where your neighborhood police officer assignment is for 2015. Sean? Hi, I'm Officer Sean Kelly. I'm the Langdon neighborhood officer. I'm Caleb Johnson, and this is my third year. I'll be the Teresa Terrace, uh, Hammersley Road, Park Edge, Park Ridge neighborhood officer. I'm Officer Manny Gatula. I'm the uh, neighborhood police officer at Allied Drive Network. Thank you. Thank you very much. We have uh, a, a total portfolio of 11 people assigned to neighborhood offices on a full-time basis where those needs are so compelling that we have to maintain that sort of vigilant presence. But now, looking at the fact that I had these five district captains each send me a list of no less than six potential candidates, if you will, for neighborhoods that need help, that gave me pause. I went to the city's website and realized that Madison is comprised of over 120 neighborhoods. Well, if I have five captains and they're each giving me six different names, six different addresses, six different neighborhoods, that represents almost a quarter of those neighborhoods that we view as perhaps hanging in the balance. So the key is, is that they haven't risen to such a level of crescendo that we can invest or take the luxury of investing a full-time officer. But through the neighborhood resource officer, we can use these as a nimble response to moving those assets around, if you will, to keep pace with those emerging trends or challenges in these neighborhoods, establish some measure of continuity, quality control, and assurance. And then if we can get a static point of self-maintenance, move that asset on to another troubled neighborhood. So that's what these neighborhood resource officers are being tasked to do. Again, a neighborhood resource officer responds to that neighborhood to take their work, to be the face of the Madison Police Department, to act as a catalyst for change. And whether it be crime or whether it be quality of life, both of those are very important issues for our department in moving forward in relational policing. So I'm just going to take a brief opportunity to showcase these five new neighborhood resource officers, I'd ask that you give your name and for at least where you'll start your year, what your assignment will be. Hi, I'm Officer Amelia Levitt, and I'll be the neighborhood resource officer for the South District. Officer Carrie Hemming, and I'll be in the Central District. I am Officer Heather Zick, and I'll be in the East District. Officer Teresa Taylor, and I will be in the West District. Good morning. I'm uh, Officer David Dexheimer. I'll be the North District Neighborhood Resource Officer. Thank you. Thank you all. The main thing is, is that I hope you'll understand is that in addition to obviously crime control issues in our neighborhoods, you will have seen and probably will see officers doing everything from coaching teams, uh, establishing community gardens, um, I believe I saw a dress-up Barbie doll uh, party for somebody's neighborhood. Uh, they run the gamut, and we don't want them to be viewed as a traditional 
call and response mechanism. We want them to be proactive in understanding what those needs of the department are. And they are essential to us in that area of crime prevention and detection as well. I can rest assured that when there is a significant event occurring on a crime nature in one of these uh, neighborhoods, certainly I'll get a call in the middle of the night, certainly one of my assistant chiefs will, but on that short list will also be the neighborhood officer because they know the players. They know what's trending, and they can be of incredible help to us as we try to sort things out. So that is sort of what we're trying to do in terms of showcase an initiative that hasn't been done in the past. We have at our apex as a, as a department, we reached a, a summit of 18 neighborhood officers. When, I, when we were younger police officers, I'm looking at the chiefs and I, uh, that has over time, based on calls for service and other competing <laughs> needs, gone down to 11. And now I'm attempting to amp that up again because, again, I think that is the way we do our best relational policing, by being boots on the ground in those neighborhoods, showing that we're invested just as those who live in those neighborhoods are. And uh, I hope I'm not putting him on the spot, but someone who's uniquely qualified to talk a little bit about uh, the job that's coming up is Officer Dexheimer. He has, uh, up until the last uh, year or so, been the neighborhood officer at Vera Court. So he'll be taking on uh, more neighborhoods. But I think uh, Officer Dexheimer could also tell you uh, some of the things he was able to accomplish and some of the relationships he was able to build while working in Vera Court. Thanks, Joel. Um, and yes, thanks for putting me on the spot. Um, I did have the pleasure of working for uh, two years as the Vera Court Intervention Officer, which I think is probably the precursor for the Neighborhood Resource Officer position. Uh, we've had intervention officers before, and they're usually positioned in response to an event. In the Vera Court instance, it was because of a, a homicide of a young man up there. Um, I had not worked in that capacity before, but it was and still is the highlight probably of my career because I got to see policing as more than just a call response responsibility. Um, it became more a matter of community building, finding out what resources already existed, bringing partners together, and really developing a relationship on a, on a very intimate and day-to-day -day level with the people who live there. Um, we've got great experience here, and in all the districts there are unique challenges, and these folks will, uh, I'm sure, do as well as, as uh, the chief expects and will serve their neighborhoods very well. Any questions for the chief or for any of our officers? Will these officers be working closely with uh, Madison Alders, who are very knowledgeable in these neighborhoods? Yes, that'll be a pipeline of information that they'll be expected to cultivate because a lot of folks go directly to those alders when they're looking for civic engagement where resources, in this case the police, are needed. And so, yes, they will have to establish a lot of relationships, alders being one of them. Have you selected some of the neighborhoods where they're going to be working kind of to start out, and, and what are some of those? Sure. Why, does, why don't you guys say where your initial assignment will be? Go ahead. Um, I'm initially going to be Badger Road, Cypress, uh, Catalpa area. Got a lot of choreography taking place. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will be Moraine View, I think Cimarron Trail area, Mirfield, kind of all over the place. And one of my first projects is going to be the Owl Creek neighborhood. 
I haven't been told yet. <laughs> Central District is moving right now. They're in the middle of moving around, so I have not been told yet. Well, one of the things that she's got to establish is, as she will, come our official uh, changing of the guard, if you will, is until February. But downtown we have issues of homelessness. We have a lot of things that are taking place in terms of the, in the corridors, at bar times in the summer. So. She's going to have quite a cacophony of issues, which is why we're not telling her exactly what all of her assignments are, <laughs> for fear that she'd stray. They start with 15. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Make sure I understand the numbers, right? Is it 11, including these? No, how does these will be added to our ranks of 11. So 16. Mm-hmm. This was, if we look back a few months, this was, uh, getting all five was, was something that took some work. Uh, on your part, how, how satisfied are you to now launch this program with the uh, full group? I'm euphoric. Uh, this was the centerpiece, the major priority moving forward for the 2015 budget. And in the sort of austere times that I understand the city is in, and a lot of people being asked across the city to make compromises and furloughs and, and layoffs and everything else happen, I think that this is a, a testimonial to the fact that Madison wants more than just a basic call and response sort of police service. They are asking for, they are demanding, they are expecting a premium delivery. And I think neighborhood officers are a mechanism for us to get to that premium level of service. Chief, I know that uh, oftentimes people are afraid to approach an officer or um, come forward with information. Do you think this will be even more successful, adding five new officers to uh, really help create a, uh, a better relationship with folks. Absolutely. If they become synonymous with the face of the department in that neighborhood, then I do think that barriers or detachment is worked on in that sense. Uh, and so over time, I think that as they proactively look at kids playing in a playground or engage students who are studying in a library, whatever the case may be, the fact that they are cast in such a non-traditional reactive mode, the fact that they can see that these are people behind the blue badge and the facade of the uniform will go wonders, I think, in making us more relatable in that sense. Now, though, since you asked it, though, the question will ultimately become for 2016 is, and I'll just leave that as the rhetorical question, awaiting the word from the ad hoc committee assigned to study such things, is will the imposition of a body camera, though, necessarily put a wet blanket party together if we're asking that to be worn by neighborhoods. I, I just throw it out there as one of those difficult issues that ultimately the ad hoc committee will have to understand because I do think that that can have a chilling issue on some of those otherwise spontaneous encounters that can occur in the neighborhoods. How do you think the, this um, uh, new initiative ties in with some of the national uh, scenarios and incidents with policing, uh, some of the concerns that people have had with some uh, big, I guess, crimes sure. that have happened. Is that something that um, this seems to be kind of connected with that? I actually think that we are probably going above and beyond what we see being played as a narrative across the national plane. In particular, over the last couple of weeks, three to four weeks, we see sort of uh, a mechanism in place in some of the larger urban centers of uh, a policy of sort of de-policing, doing as little as possible in terms of engaging citizens. This is counterintuitive, a completely different direction. 
Uh, our officers have been told, especially those in patrol, not just the neighborhood office, this isn't the time to go into a cocoon. Uh-uh. When the hot lights are on and the cameras are watching more than ever, this is the time to be more engaging than even heretofore you ever were. We want you to get out. We want you to show that capacity for us to be relational. And so I do think that this is a, a particularly pointed example of where MPD will continue to march to the tune of its own drummer, and we always will, no matter what's being played out in a national narrative. Sir? Locally, we've got the... Think of the gifted, young, gifted, and black coalition. Yeah. Um, they uh, produced a letter. Uh, does this give you an opportunity to say to them, "We're responding locally to what's uh, what your concerns are"? Uh, I mean, is it just a kind of a dovetail, uh, or have they uh, directed the narrative in some way? I think that in this particular narrow instance, um, they're flat out got it wrong. They're asking for the police to have no interaction in our communities, particularly our communities of color. They're asking for self-determination, and their emphasis is obviously placed on how the police are creating problems, quote-unquote, in air quotes, for those who would offend. Uh, but I think that doesn't begin to address the issue that our neighborhoods are also comprised of victims, of witnesses, of complainants, who contrary to what their take is, my take is that when I do community forums, they are begging for the Madison Police Department to have their presence there. They feel, as they should, entitled to a high quality of life and the safety issues that all of our neighborhoods in Madison should have every right and expectation of having. So to their point where they have asked for a decrease in our presence, um, I'm going to tell you emphatically there's going to be an increase in our presence because that increase is not correlated to assume or to infer that contacts are always adversarial. In fact, the largesse of our contacts are proactive and non-hostile, very benign, and helpful. And that's how we're going to continue to break down these barriers of mistrust. So to their edict that we pull out of the neighborhoods, not happening, not by a long shot. So this is a respectfully disagree, but everybody wants the same thing. Absolutely. To that, we, can ex we, we are completely on the same page. I just think that their perspective in the sense of not thinking about those who are victims of crimes, complainants of crimes or quality of life issues, are being overlooked in the formula or the calculus of what they say doesn't serve their neighborhoods properly. Chief, to the, the Taylor does question yeah. in response to that. Do you think that response from that um, coalition is more to the um, pointed criticism of the call and response um, action the police force versus these community-involved officers, and perhaps that might be a different way of interacting with the community versus just strictly a call and response versus getting um, boots, not so much response on the ground, but actually making inroads and ties with the community that way. Well, and I'd like, not knowing exactly what they were doing source attribution to, the one footnote in the, in the letter that was sent to me made a pointed reference to the depolicing of the NYPD over the course of the last four weeks. So perhaps we can infer that they were referring more to a call and response traditional mechanism. For that, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. But to your point, absolutely, uh, the way we police, and I'm not just going to say the way 
these select five or how our neighborhoods involved. The whole emphasis philosophically from the MPD, which extends beyond the bounds of the neighborhood division, is that this is a mindset that everyone must embrace, even in patrol, especially in patrol. So uh, to that extent, uh, perhaps I will give them that benefit that perhaps they had not fully developed the consequence of how we respond differently in our neighborhoods than what they perhaps have seen. Additional training to go along with their roles uh, going into this um, new way of policing? Some have and some will get more training. And one of the issues that we like to look at are issues of landlord-tenant relationships, which is also a focal point, nuisance abatement, drug houses, things like that. They will be getting some additional training before they take on their duties. How has um, all of these national stories across the country affected some of the, you know, your officers out there in the community? Have they run into more aggression or more people having distrust because of this? And is this something that you're hoping this might kind of swing that, uh, go away from that, is bring, bring that trust back? Well, I want to be quite pointed in respect to that. I think that although it may appear at first blush, that there's this sort of malaise that has engulfed even the city of Madison, owing in part to the national narrative. I would say that people have gone out of their way, either in direct personal contacts with our officers, emails to the website, emails to me, emails to the districts to say, hey, just so you know, we love you, we respect you, we appreciate you, and I don't know what that noise is being played out on national levels, but that's not our narrative, and we, we want you to be in our neighborhoods. We want you to be a part of our community, and don't misunderstand. I'd actually say that those people, those trends are probably 10 to 1 in favor of support and validation of what MPD is doing and what our officers are doing at a very grassroots level. And those who are naysayers represent a vocal minority. And I'm not uh, inclined to let that define who we are and how we do business. Given the fact that um, in a lot of these instances that we're just talking about across the nation and we're involving younger people, uh, teenagers, some as young as maybe 12 years old, um, are you going to, uh, some of these officers going to try to better relationships with schools or youth organizations as well? I think that has to be a part of it in terms of developing those relationships and partnerships, whether it be sort of in an interactive way in sports, at a community rec center, at a computer day lab, whatever the case may be. I think you're right. I think it's incumbent on us to seize the initiative, seize the day, and look at where folks of that demographic are hanging and what they're doing and collaborating with their teachers, their coaches, their mentors. Madison is a, a phenomenal community, resource-rich, with a lot of individuals doing some phenomenal things. Their role will be to create those relationships of partnering with them and seeing how we can make this even more fulfilling. But absolutely, that is a source that we need to tap into. A lot of that's already ongoing in our yep. neighborhoods, particularly in the West District. We've got a basketball program. There's a lot of things that are already in place, and, and, and we've been working hard on these things long before this national debate. Absolutely. Other questions? Um, just on a slightly different topic. Sure. Uh, we had a homicide over the weekend. Any developments, uh, anything you can say about that? 
Well, our command post has been established within an hour of when that first occurred. We are mustering resources as we always would for something of this sort of significance. Where it occurred is a neighborhood that is not necessarily on the radar screen as troubled, challenged, or crime-ridden by any means. And so we want to make sure that those people who live in and about that area, the Brentwood area, understand that this is an anomaly. This is an outlier. Having said that, yes, we have literally done scores of investigations. We have literally uh, tasked our forensic unit uh, to do an awful lot of processing and working with the ME's office, the medical examiner's office. We have been contacted by those who have reached out through our Crime Stoppers or through various media outlets to pass on tips. Those tips are all being vetted. Uh, we do have some suspect leads that we are developing, and obviously we cannot chronicle or develop those for fear of compromising the integrity of the investigation and not being unduly suggestive to those who might otherwise be asked if they can identify players that are involved. So, yes, we are confident in the strides that have been being made in that command post and want to reassure the public that this was not a situation where one complete stranger happens upon another complete stranger with no predicate of, a, of any kind of a relationship, and then there's abject violence which results. Not, not the case at all. A very finite universe of those who are involved. Forgive me if this was mentioned over the weekend and it wasn't here, but we have the, the cardiac arrest is how this, this guy dies. Was there any kind of weapon involved in the disturbance that led up to that? Have you been able to that? Weapons have been recovered, but we leave to, to the release of the ME to exactly produce us what the official cause of that death would be. We have forensic things that are pending, and yes, there are disputes as to whether guns, knives, or both are at play. We are waiting for the ME's conclusive reports to provide us more insight into that. And again, to suggest which of any of these things, including other open-ended subjects, are conclusively tied to that would be premature because we still have to vet whatever suspects we get into the Are, are, are there people at this point who you're actively seeking? You haven't had contact with yet? Yes, but actively seeking can also be germane as to those people who may have witnessed it. So it's not necessarily people for which we believe there is some measure of culpability. It, we don't want to preclude or be tunnel vision on any one single theory or theories. It's best to open uh, our eyes and expand the fulcrum to investigating all the possible alternative suggestions for what happened here. And so we don't want to shut down those doors prematurely. All right. Thanks, everyone. Thank you very much for coming, folks.